friends I'm really proud to work with. And every single day, I have to go in to work and just say to myself, like, you are going to crush it. Like, this is your day. Because if there is a moment when self-doubt crawls in, I am just flattened. From Wild Rye, it's Wild Rye Radio, a show about breaking trail and the characters who led the way. I'm Katie Hoversmoot, and today we're going to talk to Janine Pesh, who coined the term modern outdoors woman. I don't really think she needs more of an introduction than that. So without further ado, here's Janine. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your younger years? Did you always know that you would end up where you are now? Sure. So I think probably I should start at the beginning. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, which is kind of strange. I ended up working in the outdoor industry, and I went to high school in Jersey and college in Philly. Um, but what was really cool is that, like, my dad actually was an Eagle Scout, and my grandfather was a hunter. So although I did grow up in the city, I spent a lot of my time in my like in my early years outdoors and um, going to places like the Catskills and Lake George and kind of like those typical resort locations that middle-class families from New York would go to. So that was like my first kind of introduction to nature. And, you know, it always resonated with me. It's just like, I just thought this was a special connection to the outdoors. And I loved climbing trees. And I just loved being outside when I was a kid. And um, in my early 20s, I started camping again and just really kind of rediscovered a love for nature that I think had kind of been dormant in me for a long time. And I actually, I went to school um, for fashion. I was, I thought I was going to go to school for journalism. Um, and I ended up going to school for fashion. And um, a colleague of mine at the time, once I graduated, um, so I ended up going to school for fashion. I thought I was going to go to school for journalism. And I studied evening wear and, like, super high-end couture, like, design. And I, I thought I was going to work for the ballet. I thought I was going to make costumes. I never, ever imagined I would end up working with technical fabrics in the outdoor industry. Um, I was a really big nerd, though, and I was really into textiles and, um, you know, like, the, and details and, and kind of the, the technology of design. So, like, I guess it did kind of lend itself to outdoor apparel um in a way that I, I guess I just didn't connect at the time so I graduated um I worked as a designer I, I really didn't like it I just didn't feel like I belonged in the fashion industry I, I always kind of felt strange um and I had a friend who was working in trend forecasting and, and she said to me you know you should come check out this agency I'm working for and I was like well, what what's trend forecasting like that's so crazy and she's like, it's, I think you'll like it. I think you'll be good at it. And I was really young. I was like 24 at the time. And what's really funny is like, I didn't know this then, but now I obviously know it is like in trend forecasting, you have to really kind of have a lot of years under your belt to be taken seriously. And um, I was this really young kid from New York and like coming from fashion and just thought I knew everything. And I didn't realize that like I was starting at the very bottom of the totem pole you know like I had to really put time and energy and effort in to really like learn the craft of trend forecasting because it's a very strange craft um in itself and well I got the job I interviewed I got the job at this trend forecasting company and I was also like really involved in the skateboarding community at the time and 
we had a lot of clients that would come to this trend forecasting agency like Nike and Reebok and Columbia and Patagonia and Quicksilver. And no one on the team really knew how to talk to them because everybody had been used to working with fashion brands. So I kind of volunteered to work on these accounts. And I said, you know, I know a lot about sneakers. I know a lot about bikes, streetwear and skateboarding. And I understand design because I've gone to school for it. So basically by default, I became the active trend person on our team. And this is like, this is like 2005. So you've got to understand that like skateboarding and streetwear and sneakers were like everything. Like that's what was happening in the world outside of fashion and menswear and design. Like it was, it was all about these kind of subcultures that were becoming more popular and mainstream. So I knew a lot about those things inherently and I could just really connect with the clients and like just got on really well with everybody. And before I knew it, I, you know, started speaking at outdoor retailer and I started going to ISPO and all the active trade shows around the world. And I just started to build a reputation for myself as this person who like understood trends, also understood design, but then also understood the nuances of the outdoor and the active market because it is really specialized. That's basically how my career started. Oh, that's amazing. So I want to talk about how you transitioned from that early career to range. So how did you get there? And really, what was your goal for range when you started? So I had been working in um, as a trend forecasting consultant and an editor for about, I guess, maybe like 10, 10 years before I decided to start range. And um, I went from the first trend forecasting agency, which was very small and French and, and very visceral and antiquated and you know very much about the art of of fashion and design and trends and i started working for this digital agency in new york called style site which was much faster much more commercialized much more about you know uh shorter forecasts and and working um with bigger clients and you know kind of delivering content on a, on a much more rapid um calendar and that started to really like kind of destroyed me. I mean, I remember the first two years I worked at Styles, I, I got to make my own calendar, my own schedule. And I was traveling around the world, you know, every month I was like in Copenhagen and Japan and Australia and London and, you know, any place there was surfing or snowboarding or skateboarding or, or something that I thought was cool happening, I would go there. So I did that for years. And I, eventually I kind of just burnt out and I, I started to kind of you know, yearn for something else. I, I, I was hiking one day and I was thinking about how cool it would be to have my own agency and like what that would look like and what it would be like. And, and I started thinking about names and I always kind of felt like I was a bit of an outsider within the outside industry because I did come to it from fashion. So I always was thinking about like, you know, the space between or this gray area that I kind of inhabited within the industry and like how I really fit in it. And simultaneously, I had always really been pitching myself to write for outdoor um, magazines and publications and websites, you know, from this kind of trend perspective. And nobody really took me seriously because, again, I was, like, again, seen as more of an outsider. But if I don't create it for myself and build something for myself, then I'm not sure if there's going to be a place for me here. And then I, I started thinking about getting this, this place in, that I kind of inhabit in between and I just this word range popped in my head and I was like well range range is this really versatile word like it's a range of color 
it's a range of time, it's a mountain range, it's it's all of these things like wrapped up and it all represents like who I am. And I kind of started working backwards from there and building out what eventually would go from me as a consultant into more of a consultancy, into more of a creative agency model, which is where I'm currently at. Um, and it really was totally just one of the scariest things I've ever done. Um, but I'm so grateful that I did it because it's taken me so far and given me so many interesting opportunities to work and collaborate with so many cool people and so many brands that I respect and, you know, I, I didn't, I, I could never have foreseen that I would be where I am today. You know, I, I always knew I would land on my feet no matter what I did, but range was totally like a chance that I took and it actually ended up working out for me. I love that that was the origin of the name as well. It's so fascinating that you kind of hit upon that as a, a field, like a physical field and a space that you could inhabit with the business. Yeah, I just saw this a lot of, one of my, one of my strengths, I guess, is identifying holes in the market. And I do that a lot with my clients. Um, I kind of find um, these areas that don't, that need to be inhabited, you know, inhabited or um, areas that, you know, maybe there isn't the right product yet or there isn't the right story yet or there isn't the right, you know, image yet. And I, and I try to create those. I, I try to fill the void or fill the gap um with you know this creative spirit and i'm really raised was that it was like filling this gap or this void within the market and kind of bridging the gap between design and creation and creativity and you know the outdoor performance driven function technology innovation and like you know the pulse of the industry i was always trying to like bring them together and, and, and bridge that gap yeah, I have to say what I've loved most about range is the way that it finds an intersection between contemporary art specifically and outdoor that you tend to highlight in your biannual publications. Um, and I'm interested to talk to you a little bit about why you think it's important to bring these other cultural landmarks like art, fashion, um, and even other industries into the outdoor space and what kind of importance or what kind of value you think that dialogue brings to outdoor brands. In terms of like adding dimension, and you know, we as human beings contain multitudes, and I always felt like outdoor had so much more to offer, and there was so much more like untapped potential there that we weren't really even kind of connecting with on a very like spiritual or human level. Um, in a way, it was almost a bit selfish as well, because I guess coming from more on the fashion and like art and design side of things, being a New Yorker, I was always worried about how things looked and how they felt. And I just felt, you know, I remember the first time I went to outdoor retailer, I guess it was like 2005 maybe. Um, I, I just was like, what is going on here? Like, <laughs> I don't even understand. Like, zip off cargo pants and plaid sh shirts. And I just like didn't get it. And I was like, this, there's so much more that we could be doing here. Like what, the outdoor industry does well is 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 innovate and 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 create these lasting products that people connect with and you know depend on and instill confidence in them and and you know that's all great but you know they, there was no there, no one was paying attention to the to the way things looked or the way or the way they made you feel you know 
if you're wearing something strictly for, from a functional standpoint, I mean, obviously things need to serve a purpose. We can never sacrifice form for function, but like, you know, they can also be contemporary and, and reflect, you know, modern silhouettes and colors that are relevant to, you know, a modern contemporary consumer, things like that. I was always just trying to get, get the outdoor industry to kind of push themselves a little bit more on the creative and the aesthetic side of things. I didn't really need to, to play a big role in terms of product development and innovation, but I definitely needed to play a role in terms of like pushing them to make products look better and fit better. Um, that was always kind of where I started. And it was funny when I started doing trend presentations back at, at OR, you know, in the mid 2000s, I was talking about sustainability and I was talking about like urban outdoors and like things that are just so hard for the course now. But at the time I was like revolutionary. People were like, what do you mean? creating sustainable materials like green what is, no one's gonna gonna wear recycled polyester <laughs> like, and that, that was a big deal then and I remember like you know just standing up in front of the trade shows and I would present to like 200 250 people at a time and like I don't know I just think that I had a way of like humanizing the, the evolution of trends in a way that felt relatable to outdoor because I, I really admired the outdoor industry I genuinely wanted to be a part of it. I felt very connected to it from my, my childhood. Um, and as much as I wanted to give people advice on how they can make things look better, I also didn't want them to make, I also didn't want to make them feel shitty about what they were doing. So I never took the stance of a, you know, holier than thou or, I, you know, more righteous. Like, oh, I'm a fancy New Yorker from the fashion industry is telling you how to make stuff better. Like, I always ma managed to make it feel relatable and funny and authentic and genuine. And, and I really started to establish really, really um, great relationships with brands and with designers and creative directors. And, you know, season after season, they would come to hear me talk at the trade show and talk about trends. And like, it just became this like really fun extended family. And I felt like I was you know, helping them evolve their product. And I felt like they were bringing me into their circle. And it was a really nice exchange. And it always felt really special to me. So in those early years, did you focus on both men and women um, in the outdoor industry or in your trend forecasting presentations? Or did you just go for women? And at what point did it kind of pivot? So, so I always focus on both genders. Um, I'm... It's funny that I'm now seen as the kind of go-to person for the women's market because I've I've never I've never exclusively worked with the women's market. I definitely identified some trends within the women's market, but um, I work on men's product and marketing strategy, branding as well. Um, and then more so, then I definitely was focused on the men's market because there was no women's market at the time. Like it didn't even exist. Like you could barely get women's product um at the time so everything was about the men's market and everything was about streetwear and heritage and you know we're kind of like predating the lumber sexual trend a bit but um you know this kind of uh evolution of like streetwear and heritage into the outdoor trend like it was all about the men's market so i i know actually a lot about the men's market and worked really closely with men's brands for a long time um and then i guess you know, eventually as trends evolved and trends changed, I started to 
to focus a little bit more on the women's market. And, you know, I guess we could get into that a bit. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that since you are, as you mentioned, the person kind of widely credited with coining the term modern outdoors woman. So I wonder, what did you see there in terms of an opportunity and what really made you want to dig into that as a topic and as a kind of direction for you and for range and for trend forecasting for your outdoor? Yeah, so it's kind of funny how it all came together. Um, About four years ago, I guess I started to see this real serious shift in the culture of outdoor in terms of like images and influencers. And and you have to keep in mind, I'm a voyeur. I'm watching things all the time. So my job is to kind of watch subtle things shift and evolve within the market. Um, And I remember it all kind of really coinciding with the rise of Instagram and and, and social media in general. Um, Like all of a sudden, I started seeing all these cool girls doing all this cool shit that I connect with. Like it was all very accessible. And I definitely think part of the problem with outdoor then was that if you weren't kind of on the level, you weren't part of the conversation. So I identified with girls like Johnny from Dirtbag Darling and Gail from She Explores because they were into the same things I was into and cared about the quality of content and the stories they were telling. Um, simultaneously, Sasha Cox found the Trail Mavens. Alex started Shoestring Adventures. And Alyssa Bervisio had just gotten funding for Hip Camp. So basically, like, all of these, like, women brands, blogs, uh, you know, products started popping up and women were bringing other women into the outdoors. Like, right. It wasn't like the boyfriends weren't introduced into the outdoors. It was like other women introducing women in the outdoors. And I was like, this is so cool. Um, and I also remember like photographers that I really loved, like Molly Steele, um, like all of a sudden this, like this crew of like irreverent and unapologetic, like creative spirits were just like creating this whole, like kind of cool scene, you know, like kind of like a cool girls club within the outdoor industry. And I remember very vividly this one picture of Molly. Um, she was in the middle of nowhere in a polar tent and she had the fly off the tent. So you could kind of see through the, see her through the mesh. And she was wearing this like super beautiful feminine floral dress and she was drinking whiskey and I was like, yes, like this is, this is, I've never seen anything like this before. I've never seen a woman depicted in this like feminine way doing something kind of masculine in the outdoors. And it just like awoke all of these like questions in my head, like who are these women? And like, I need to know more about them. So I started, um, I started interviewing a lot of women basically from all different like walks of life and all levels of outdoor experiences or all levels of outdoor experience. And, um, you know, asking them questions like, you know, what does the outdoors mean to you? And, um, you know, when people would talk about it, women specifically, that would get very emotional and, like, talk about the outdoors from this, like, very primal standpoint. The way it makes you feel, the way they interact with other women when they're outdoors together, the camaraderie, the confidence that, like, is instilled in them. And then when I would, you know, similarly so, when I would talk to men, it would always be a little bit more pragmatic about performance or function or pounds or ounces or times or distances. Like it was always, it was always very like tactical and, and scientific and clinical where, where if you talk, you know, the women I talked to, it was all very emotional and uh, internalized and it, it was just really interesting. So based on that research, I, I kind of started reaching out to women like Jen from Coalition Snow who were making, you know, at the time skis and snowboards for women and, um, Machines for Freedom was new. It's like all of a sudden, so I'm seeing all these cool girls on Instagram, all these influencers, all these bloggers, and I'm seeing all of these women starting programs 
that take other women into the outdoors, like Trail Mavens and Shoestring Adventures and Hip Camp. And then I'm seeing all these brands emerging that are making products by women for women, specifically for women. And at the time, like, Patagonia had just launched, like, a women-specific gator. And, like, it just was like, wow, this is all this is happening, and nobody's even talking about it. So at that summer LR, I was like, okay, I'm going to do a presentation on the women's market. And I really had no idea that people, it would resonate with people so much. Um, and I remember, like, you know, the night before it was due, being like, you know, what am I going to call this? Like, I had built the slides, like, 100 slides. And I was like, okay, you know, who is this woman? I'm like, she's an outdoors woman. Like, she's not just an outdoors woman. She is the outdoor woman, and she's modern. And I was like, okay, I'll just call it Modern Outdoors Woman. It, literally, that's how I came up with the name. And everyone was like, holy crap. Wow, we didn't even know this was happening. And I was like, what do you mean? These women are all around you. There's a trade show full of women here. And everyone's looking for better products <laughs> and better stories. And like... Now everything is Pepto-Bismol pink and has paisley flowers on it. Like, you know, and then there's this whole emerging, like, group of women who is just irreverent and unapologetic and, like, you know, kind of tomboys, I guess you could call them, in a way. And, you know, we're not making products for them and we're not catering to them. We're not showing their faces in campaigns, you know. And I know that, you know, that it has evolved in its whole, in its own way, the modern outdoors woman. Like, a lot of people you know, kind of are bummed on it because it, you know, it shines a light on women as an item, you know, it, it, it kind of, you know, oh, you know, the, the, the women's trend, oh, here we're talking about the women's trend again, but I'm like, you know, it, I, I just wanted to talk about women, I just wanted to give women a voice and, like, fight for them and, you know, empower them and also, like, celebrate them and, and make brands pay attention to them. I mean, women are, are huge you know, make up 51% of, um, you know, annual spending in the outdoor industry. And at the time, there was not even any statistics or reporting on, like, consumer demographics or spending habits of women in the industry. And, you know, fast forward, you know, to, to 2018, and, like, it's not just about women. It's about diversity. It's about, like, you know, gender. It's about... Um, the LGBTQ community, it's, it's so much more dimensional now than I could have ever imagined it, it to be. So I am glad that I, I started talking about it, and I'm glad that people listened, and I'm glad that the brands, you know, responded in the way that they did and, and are still working towards being better and doing better for women. So when was that first Modern Outdoors Woman presentation at OR? I think it was 2014. I actually also published a long-form essay in Range Magazine um, called The Modern Outdoors Woman. And um, I interviewed a bunch of the ladies I mentioned earlier, like Gail and Johnny and Jen, and um, my friend Allie Troxel-Carr, who was a journalist at the time for Outside Magazine. And um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to give them a voice and you know, I have a, I've had a lot of really fun experiences since then where people have come up to me and they've told me that they've started companies based on the modern outdoors woman or, you know, they were at brands that, you know, saw the presentation or read the article and, and, it, and it ushered in this whole sea of change within, you know, the companies they worked for. And um, it just, I, I just didn't realize, I guess, at the time, 
how impactful it would be. And now that I look back at it, I'm really proud of, you know, being kind of this outspoken outsider that was able to take a step back from the industry and look at it and say, you know, like, hey, you've got this amazing community and, you know, with tons of purchasing power and, and, you know, these consumers that nobody's even paying attention to or making stuff for and, like, guys, wake up. Like, you know, everything has been about, like, wealthy white guys and, like, you know, really unaccessible adventures and things that didn't feel, you know, welcoming. Everything felt very rigid and cold up until that point. So I feel like, you know, the modern outdoors woman was, for better or worse, something that people could connect with and to. And I think it empowered a lot of women to go out and start businesses and, and kind of, you know, stand on their soapbox and, you know, usher in change within the industry. So obviously there have been some major improvements in women's offerings um, since 2014. And I think moving into 2018, we'll see even more of them. But it seems like there's still a long way to go. Do you have any sense of where you see the industry heading in the coming years as a trend forecaster? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the work is ever done. I mean, I feel, <laughs> about, you know, I, I feel like there are so many incredible women that I'm so inspired by that are real activists for the women's market and, and women's issues. You know, I'm more of a creative connector. I'm, you know, I'm here to be a conduit to start dialogues and to be a facilitator of ideas. Um, you know, and there's women out there fighting every day for women's rights. Um, and I think that they're, we need to empower them and we need to support them and give them the opportunity to do what they do well. And, you know, what I think is going to happen with the industry is that as more women come into power and more senior roles and executive roles within companies, as more women start small businesses, um, as more, as more women write about, you know, the women's market and, and the women's movement, I think that we will just start to dominate the conversation and we'll dominate the market and we'll dominate product. And, you know, it'll be a very natural progression. I don't see it being anything, um, you know, that just kind of happens overnight. I think it's just going to be something that we see evolving slowly over the next decade and it'll just cement our place within this industry. And, you know, when women are leading things and women are in charge, companies are more successful, they're more profitable, they're more, uh, sustainable, they're more understanding, they're more human, you know, and I just think we're going to set a really great precedent for the direction that the industry is going to head in and, and will continue to head in for the, you know, for the next few decades. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I have to say, um, I've always been intrigued by these debates that happen internally within the outdoor industry because sometimes it can feel like such an echo chamber. So I think it's really positive and important to have outside voices come in and kind of inform that conversation. But I'm also always surprised when people tell me that they think the outdoor industry has been an unfriendly place for women. And I've heard this a little bit, um, but I've, you know, it's, it's remarkable how many women are in positions of power already in the outdoor industry. I mean, the CEO of Burton, of Patagonia, when I was at Specialized, we had a CFO who was a woman who'd come from Old Navy. Um, I think there's much more gender diversity on a lot of outdoor industry senior leadership teams than in other places you might find. Mm -hmm. I agree with you 100%. And I think like now those voices are being amplified. You know, 
you know, with probably, you know, Camera Outdoors and OIA. And, you know, there's so many programs and platforms now for women to empower each other and mentor each other. And, like, that, that didn't exist then. So maybe, you know, that's part of the reason that people will say things like, oh, you know, it's not, not necessarily a women-friendly environment. I mean, yeah, it, there's a lot of men in, in the industry, but I also feel like those men are our allies to a certain degree, um, especially now more than ever. Yeah, of course. In the wake of, you know, the Me Too movement and the administration and everything that we're kind of dealing with on a daily basis in, in our real lives. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think it's just about, you know, maybe it isn't about giving it a label and maybe it isn't about putting it in a bucket. Everybody loves to put stuff in a box um, so they can categorize it and they can control it and they can kind of define it and they can, you know, manipulate and mold it. But maybe this movement isn't about being labeled and put in that box. It's, it's meant to be kind of this wild, free-form, free-spirited evolution that just kind of happens on its own accord. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, as long as, like, we're doing right by women and by men and by everybody, we should be doing right by humans. You know, like, we're all, you know, that's the best job we can be doing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I always ask people who I talk to for this podcast if they can share a story about when things went pear-shaped for them professionally. So are there any moments in your professional life when you felt like things are going off the rails? And if so, how did you write the ship? So pretty much every day when I wake up, I feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. Being a small business owner is rough. Um, Gail, uh, from Shakespeare than I, we, we, we text each other a lot about the struggle. It's always, you know, my favorite phrase is the struggle is real. So um, I think that every day is um, a bit of a struggle and it's always a fun achievement to make it through unscathed. I, you know, started this, this agency with no outside funding, with just myself. Um, you know, now we're a team of like seven and we're all over the country and I work with huge brands. I work with small brands as well, but I work with brands I'm really proud to work with. And every single day, I have to go in to work and just say to myself, like, you are going to crush it. Like, this is your day. Because if there is a moment when self-doubt crawls in, I am just flat. Um, I, I start to panic. Oh my God, there won't be money. What if my accounts don't renew? You know, what if the client's not happy? If there's even a moment where I like doubt myself for a second, then I just fall apart. So I would, I would say like every day is, um, you know, it's like, this is, it's either going to, going to be a success or it's going to be a failure. Like, and I, I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, it definitely keeps me on my toes. Um, and I want, to be a little bit more kind to myself about that kind of thing. But I just think that's the nature of having a small business. I mean, you can't take anything for granted. You can't, you know, your wins are great, but your losses are, are always, you know, kind of sneaking up and, and reminding you that like, okay, you haven't gotten out of, of, of you know, this starter, this starter space yet. Um, there's a term in the tech industry called the trough of sorrow in the startup world. See, there you go. So I feel like the first two years of, of having range, I lived in the top of sorrow. Um, and I do feel like I definitely have things under control now and we're heading in a positive direction and like, you know, things are definitely evolving and scaling the way they're supposed to. But there's always that little, you know, it's kind of like 
the monkey on your shoulder that's like, don't screw this up, you know, like, no one's going to bail you out if you can't deliver, and, you know, when it's your company and your agency, everything is on the line, you know, like, your reputation is on the line every day, so, you know, I try to keep that in mind when I show up to work, and I think that's probably why my clients value our our working relationships and, you know, the level of commitment I give them is because, like, I take my job and myself and my agency, like, so seriously. And I definitely think that's reflected in the quality of the work that I'm, you know, providing for my clients. So in addition to running a small business, you're also a recent mom. Can you share a little bit about what it's really like to balance work and motherhood and what your daily routine looks like? I think so often, especially as women, when I talk to other women, I think it's important for us to be really candid about what the day-to-day business of living life looks like when you're balancing children or a marriage or a relationship of any kind and also a small business or hopefully a large business. I mean, motherhood has been the most transformative experience of my entire life. And I don't even realize, I don't even know if I realized how profound that change would be. You know, I definitely went from like this very carefree spirit who was traveling and backpacking and camping and snowboarding and like, you know, living my life like a global citizen to kind of, you know, having my wings clipped a bit in addition to running a business, obviously. Um, So that in itself was kind of like a really hard pill for me to swallow. Um, You, when you become a mother, you give up you give up, you give up, you, I don't know how to say this right. When you become a mother, you gain a lot. I mean, you gain an immense amount, but you also give up a lot. And I always thought I was going to be very natural as a mom. Like, oh, I'm going to be this like earth mother and I'm going to just be obsessed with my baby and I'm going to, you know, nothing else is going to matter. And I don't even know if I'm going to want to work anymore. And when I had my daughter, I was back to work within three weeks, namely because I had a business, but also because I missed being really good at something. You know, so much of being a mother, especially in the beginning, is just being a total fuck up. Like, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> I really think it, I, the only thing I compare it to is like being on acid. It's like your world is upside down. You have no idea what it's like night and day. Nothing feels real. And you're like overwhelmed with all of these emotions that you don't know how to keep, like cope with. So the first, like, six months, you're just like, oh, my God, what the hell is happening? So I actually, like, used work to anchor myself in a weird way. You know, like, I was like, I know what I'm doing professionally. Like, I know what I'm doing on the day-to-day. Like, if I can, you know, get back into work and get back to a part of, like, that identity that I, I kind of lost, I thought I think it, it actually would be better for me. And I definitely feel like I sacrificed maybe some of the special time I would have had with my daughter when she was an infant, you know, just kind of being all blissed out with her at home. Um, but it was really important for me as a woman to work. And I didn't know I was going to be that way. That's, that's the funny thing about motherhood is like you just never know how you're going to be. So I was breastfeeding on conference calls and pumping in bathrooms and airports. And, you know, my team was very, considerate and kind and understanding and flexible and you know you don't really sleep for a long time and you're kind of crazy and and you know you just you turn into a different person and you know 
to this day, I mean, I don't really sleep now. You know, like my daughter <laughs> was up for like two hours last night. She's two. Um, but I, I'm functional because my body's adapted and my brain is adapted and I know what needs to get done. And um, mothers in general are warriors, like warriors. Like I can't even express that enough, how I, I am in awe of, of motherhood. Um, working mothers are a whole different breed, but even stay-at-home mothers are, are powerful. I mean, I can't, I think, I don't even think I'd be a great stay-at-home mom. I think I would like, you know, lose it and then you know people would have to come check on me because i'd be shaking my kid or something yeah and there's like no one grabbing at you all day and like begging you for attention and and they you know kids need you you can't one thing i've learned is i can't mom and work at the same time so first it's been a great practice in like surrender for me because when i'm with my daughter i'm just with her i'm not checking my phone i'm not checking my email you know maybe i'm like daydreaming about like projects but I'm not physically working on them and when I'm at work I can't think about my daughter I can't I can't I can't bring her to trade shows I can't you know I don't travel with her when I'm working like because I can't use both of those parts of my brain at the same time because one of them always suffers something's always suffering for the other thing so I think it's this like push and pull that you know modern working women are probably always experiencing and you know there's a lot of guilt that comes along with it and there's a lot of emotional baggage that comes along with it but I think at the end of the day like you just need to be kind to yourself and you need to do the best you can and like that's the advice I give people now and they're like what about motherhood and what do you think about this and what do you think about that I'm just like just do the best you can whatever works for you might not work for somebody else so what's the point in giving advice you know just be kind to yourself and do the best you can and, and I give myself that advice every day so yeah do you think in some ways running a young business when range was in its infancy prepared you for the kind of trials and tribulations of motherhood? I actually do. And it's funny because I, I remember going to this birth center um, when I was like seven months pregnant because I was considering like having my Annie at a birthing center. And I told the woman who ran the birthing center that I, I owned a business and it was, you know, it was like my firstborn. And she was like, you need to stop referring to your business as your firstborn. And she's like, you need to take off your mommy hat or your business hat and you need to put your mommy hat on. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. <laughs> I really like, I really, you know, I nurtured this business and I gave it life and sustained it. And, and I, I, I actually now have a lot more, um, now that I do have a daughter and I do have a child, you know, I have a lot more perspective on things. So things aren't as important as they used to be. Like, I'm not saying work's not important, but like, I can check out now. Like I said, I'm not, when I'm with her, I'm not working. So that means I'm not working on the weekends. It means I'm not working at night unless I like have to, and I'm on a deadline. It just gave me a lot of, um, a lot of, of perspective and gave me the ability to say like, okay, I'm off now. Now this is me being off. And I, I think before I had her, I just worked hundreds and hundreds of hours a week. And you know, I never took days off. I stopped going outside. I stopped doing all the things that I love and that made me start this business to begin with. And I think in a way that like, although it's really hard to have a child, it, it gave me a lot of, it gave me a lot of my own freedom back because I started to put, you know, boundaries and parameters around my relationship with work. 
And that was very interesting for me to realize. Yeah, I think that's a difficult balance to strike when you're running your own business and when you're just getting it off the ground. Um, so I want to also kind of wrap up with our lightning round. So are you ready for this? The idea is that I ask you a question and you answer quickly. <laughs> okay. All right. Coffee or tea? Lots of coffee. <laughs> bagels or donuts? I'm from, I'm from New York. Bagels. Oh, my God. You're the first person to say bagels. Yes. Oh my god. I also like savory more than sweet, so I'll always pick a savory item over a sweet item. <laughs> I'm glad to have turned the tables on that one finally. Uh, favorite outdoor sport? I would. Is, can I say backpacking here? Is that yeah, for sure. Yeah, backpacking. Okay, and finally, the best thing you've read recently? So honestly, I'm reading a book called Toddler Four One One. Become my Bible because my daughter is really, really feisty and feral and spunky and stubborn and like it's the only thing getting me through it. And I was like trying to come up with something really like insightful to say here, like oh, you know, I'm reading all of this this memoir, but now I'm literally reading a book called Toddler Four One One, and it's giving me life. That was Janine Pesh. Next week, we're off to Outdoor Retailer, where we're going to shake it up a bit and have some more informal podcasts in the future. Until then, if you want to learn more about us or about Wild Rye, you can find us online at www.wild.com. Have a great week.